Welcome to the Always Evolving Podcast. This is a podcast about living an awake, aware, conscious life. It's about recognizing that our lives are a product of the choices that we make, and the ripple effects of those choices impact our families, our communities, and the world. So let's choose wisely. If it helps to evolve us as individuals, then we will likely cover it at some point on this podcast. Because, after all, we are always evolving, and in all ways. I'm your host, Erica Boucher. Today's interview may be one of my all-time favorites, if not my favorite of all time. I'm interviewing Rhonda Efron Brown. Rhonda and her partner have been traveling for the last five years throughout the United States and the world, and they've been doing it completely without a plan. They've just been going where life and spirit takes them, and it's been an incredible journey, an incredible adventure. I've so enjoyed watching it from a distance for these past several years. One of the reasons I started this podcast was to inspire others to wake up, live, travel, and enjoy their lives to the fullest. And since Rhonda is doing all of that so beautifully, I thought I'd ask her to give us a little bit of a peek into her life. So I invited Rhonda to let me interview her so she could offer some inspiration to others who might be thinking that someday they're going to set themselves free and they're going to go out there and see the world. So for those of you who have been thinking, I would really love to do this sometime, but I don't have any idea how to go about it, Rhonda's going to offer some tips to help you set the wheels in motion so that you can make that dream come true. Take a listen. I'm here today with Rhonda Efron Brown, somebody who I've been following for a while. I've been watching your journey, Rhonda, for a long time. It's very inspiring. And I thought, you know, if it's this interesting for me to observe what you're doing and have the kind of curiosity I do around how it is that you're doing what you're doing, I'm sure there are other people that would love to know about it as well. So thank you for taking the time to let me interview you for this podcast, because right now Rhonda is in Spain, right? Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. What part of Spain are you in? I'm in a village called Castile de Campos. It's in southern Spain. It's like a really small village down in the Andalusias, just a little north of the coastline. House sitting. <laughs> House sitting. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask you. When I first started following you, you and your partner had kind of pimped out an RV, right? And <laughs> you were traveling around the country. Tell, start back there. So you, did you both have jobs? Like, how did your journey begin? Because you've been traveling for how long now? Um, we're just, we're right at five years now. Five years. Okay. So if you don't mind, take me back to the beginning. Were you both working? And then at some point you decided, okay, we, we're going to quit our jobs and we're going to travel? You know, you know, I think it has to go back quite a lot earlier than that. And I've really had a lot of time since this change of lifetime, you know, lifestyle to think about this. I think it goes all the way back to like when I was a kid and I was sitting in a tree and I was reading Meg Mysteries. And any time there was like a story that had like this 
this little girl that was, you know, into exploring. I think it goes all the way back to that. I think that as a child, I didn't get to do much traveling, but I traveled in my imagination. Mm. And then when I was a young adult, I was a dental hygienist. And dental hygienists have unique opportunities, or they did at that time, to um, be hired internationally. And I was in my early 20s, and I moved to Switzerland. And I didn't realize how brave that was, but I didn't speak the language. It was very challenging. I was in a really small village. And my dentist that I worked for gave me a really large bonus when I got done that I wasn't expecting. And it afforded me the opportunity to backpack around for a long time. And I didn't have a plan and I was by myself. And just the freedom of that was a feeling that um, never left me. And so for several decades, you know, I was a mom. You're doing all the things that moms do and really, really busy. And um, I think for many years, I I, uh, was kind of in the back of my mind thinking someday I'd like to be able to blow around like a leaf like that again. But how do you do that? You know, in 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 our world, it just seems so impractical and impossible and so I you know and then I whenever I met somebody that had a similar tale that they had done extensive traveling or they had done something really unique because a dental hygienist you meet a lot of people that do a lot of different things and I was a hygienist for many many years so I think the tale goes back right away but what I mostly wanted to share was for the longest time I tried really hard to figure out how because financially it was just seemed so impractical it's not like we're wealthy people so there was this moment it was in april 2013 i remember it so distinctly and it just kind of hit me that i needed to quit trying to figure out how i could live a nomadic lifestyle how i could come up with a practical plan for that and just release myself into trusting that it would be okay and the reality was I, like many people, have lots of different kinds of experiences in our life and a lot of different skills and these kinds of things that we have to offer. And I didn't know how we could do it, but I'm really fortunate that Ryan, my sweetie pie, he was willing to just kind of follow my lead on it. And it took us like six months to wrap up our life. He was working in the hospitality industry. I had a business that I had been working very hard to build for 10 years and I was proud of and, I, and it was successful, but it was, um, I just felt the, uh, the need to kind of let go of everything and, and roll. And I also want to throw in here that I think part, there are two big variables that made me feel the drive to go ahead and do it. Um, one was as a dental hygienist, I had seen so many of my patients come to a point in their life where they had always planned on doing things when they were retired and they were experiencing regret because for one reason or another, their significant other had passed away or their health had failed or whatever it was. They never got a chance to realize the dreams that they had had for so long. It broke my heart. So as a young person, I really heard that loud and clear. And then I think the second thing for me was that my mother developed Alzheimer's. She wasn't like early onset Alzheimer's, but pretty darn early. And she lived with us for five years. And that was a real strong beacon to me to just, you know what, (laughs) just let go of fear and, and follow my own gut as far as what I wanted to do and try to let go of the fear of all the things that can go wrong. So how did you start? Did you start with, okay, let's travel around the United States? Was that where the journey began? It was. We had um, an old bus that we had bought. I call it a bus. It was like a transport vehicle. Like a, you think of those hotel vans that they'll, you know, schlep 12, 20 people back and forth to a hotel with. 
So we bought one of those off of Craigslist or something, and another person had converted into a sort of quasi camper with a, a little bathroom in it, and we kind of gutted it and turned it into our own, and it was diesel with one of those engines that don't really hit their stride till they get to like 200,000 miles or whatever, you know, it was in the series. And we've been told that like by mechanics. So we called it the big boy and we lived in the big boy for most of three years. Um, and when we rolled out of Orlando, we didn't have a plan and we didn't have a destination and we didn't have the finances to be able to like stay in a camp, a campground every night. We just, we boondocked and we and we figured it out as we went. And it was just, we did that for three years around the States. And we looped around and did all these back roads across America and just had a fantastic time. So let me interrupt here. I, I know what boondocking is, but some people may not. Would you mind explaining what that is? Sure. Boondocking, dry camping, the idea kind of being that you are pretty much self-contained. And the, with the big boy, we have, the, like, if, as long as we have uh, water, some propane with us and food we're good for you know up to a couple of weeks in a in a national forest where um we can hook up to a battery a deep cell battery or our solar panels and just pull a little bit of juice we need to charge led lights that kind of thing so boondocking is basically kind of an off the grid option or camping where you're not connected to amenities you're not connected to water and electricity you're more self-contained so we would uh, be in national forests, not talking national parks, but national forests have places where you can stay for free. We would park along the side of the road, Walmart parking lots, casino parking lots, just all kinds of places. In the beginning, it was um, weird and awkward and not quite sure. And it didn't take very long before we learned that we didn't even worry about it. You know, we always knew we could find a place to just hang. And part of that's because the big boy's not big. We call it the big boy because it's bigger than a van, but it's not big compared to like a big RV. It's not conspicuously an RV. Mm-hmm. It's a little, you know, a little more, you know, almost like a camouflage. It's like, not in- <laughs> yeah, it wasn't intentional. It's just kind of, you know, it's just not very fancy and it needs a paint job and it's just sort of nobody really cares. Nobody notices if you don't stay more than a day or two someplace. It was awesome. So what were some of your favorite places that you visited in the country? Oh my gosh. So, mm, um, along the West Coast, like the Pacific Coast Highway was mind boggling to me. You know, in Florida, we have so developed things and we have so many billboards and everything's very hyper commercialized. And I watched Central Florida grow so fast. I was stunned by how much raw coastline California has that you can just drive miles and miles and miles and hang there. So I really, really love California. And there's places there where you can like go up into parks and up into uh, state and federal owned properties and find, you know, hot springs that are like nobody else is there. You got the whole place to yourself. It's just crazy. Our nation has so many wonderful, wonderful things that are not being completely enjoyed. And locals are a little protective of this information to be honest about it, you, you kind of have to get there and kind of ask around to figure out where the national treasures are. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to pinpoint. So you were traveling, you have a lot of money in the bank or like, were you figuring out ways to make money or were you just figuring you had a small nest egg and you just figured we're going to do this as inexpensively as possible and you were very frugal? How did that work? For, for somebody who's like, 
that sounds amazing. I'd love to travel around the country and do this, but I don't even know how to comprehend making that work. Right, right. Well, it's, it's a combination of things. It's the combination of learning how to kind of weigh what we feel like we need against what we really need and being able to get by with less and, and being okay with that. It's a combination of letting go of the fear is a big part of it. But we didn't have a very large nest egg. We do have a relatively small nest egg. And when we left our home, we had a home that we did own free and clear in Orlando, but it was like less than a thousand square feet, just a small little kind of cottage in downtown Orlando and kind of a rental area. And with the hopes that it would rent after we left, we left it with a um, property manager and like, hope you can get it rented so we can have a little bit of income coming in. And he did. And so for a few years, we had that income coming in. And so that helped. And it almost like we had about a thousand coming in a month and it almost covered all of our costs, not quite. And then when we went overseas, before we went overseas, we decided to sell the home because the market had bounced back so hugely in those few years since when it had tanked. And that's been what we've been gradually, it's been gradually dwindling while we've been traveling. But we offset the cost of our traveling in, in a lot of different ways. Um, I'm very into the sharing economy. Um, before we got like officially tapped into it, the early days of what we call big boy living, because like I said, our camper was the big boy. I looked for opportunities where people could meet our needs um, just creatively. One of the very first opportunities was we were in a little bitty hotel in the West in a, in a little bitty town called Clayton, New Mexico. And this hotel needed some help with their Christmas decorating. And I noticed this, we went in for a meal and I noticed that they were struggling. It's like almost Christmas, widen the stuff up and started talking to the staff and there had been some health issues. So I talked to the owner to see, like, I had a home staging business, like maybe, you know, you'd like to trade us some stay here and a little bit of food and I can help you out. And it turned into a near two-week stay and did a bunch of other things for them. So it's kind of like learning how to creatively find opportunities for ourselves and find ways to do work trades on our own. And I've done a lot of different kinds of those as we traveled. And then we've also tapped into the sharing economy that people know about, the woofing and um, work away and some of these more sophisticated websites that already have people lined up on there that you can connect with and do things for. And, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that I wanted to, to ask you about. So not everybody has probably heard about Woofing, the it's Worldwide Organization of Organic Farming, right? And that's where you can go on their website and they have a list of organic farms around the world who are looking for people to come and help them out in exchange for free housing, right? Is that essentially how it works? That's the gist. And um, I'm always a little careful when I talk about it because the terminology, depending on different countries and their um, feelings about this, you know, some countries, like they don't want you to call it volunteering. You, know, you just kind of have to realize and be sensitive to where you're trying to go. But the basic idea is that it's a, not a new organization. It's been around for a long time. If you want to be part of Woofing, you can just Google Woof, W-W-O-O-F, and you'll have lots of information. To Woof, you buy a membership for a specific country. And when you buy, and I think it's like around $25 a year, typically for most countries. And then you can look at all of the listings in that country and you can read through. And the most typical work trade relationship for most of these organizations that I've found has been approximately 25 hours per week is the most typical. 
Um, you, you give 25 hours a week of effort in exchange for room and board. Hmm. And it's not that you are there as labor. That's not um, how people should perceive it. It's more that there are opportunities to learn and have cultural interchange and to lend your, like, lend your knowledge, learn from them. It's more a cultural exchange opportunity and a skill sharing opportunity. And there's every kind of possible relationship imaginable. We've experienced a lot of different really good ones and really sketchy, you know, not sketchy, but like less than ideal ones. Right. We have to do your research even with that, right? What, what was your favorite woofing experience? Oh, my favorite woofing experience. Hmm. There's, there are so many. I think that probably, well, what we've learned is to try not to project too much expectation on these things and just kind of see what appears and be amazed by what you find. We, it sounded interesting. It was in southern France. Um, near the Riviera. I had my ideas in my mind of what the Riviera was, and it was nothing like what I, the Riviera was like what I thought, but the, the place where we ended up was actually a little bit north of that, up in this, um, God, up above this Red River Gorge. It's just beautiful. And it was an organic bee farm, and it was in the winter. And so it was rugged living. The water could freeze up. It was, I, we were like basically up in an attic space. We had to climb up this really steep little ladder to get up there. When you came down in the morning and you looked out, you just pinched yourself. I couldn't believe how beautiful this place was. And in the wintertime, you know, the bees aren't there. The bees are actually living somewhere else, but the honey's there and they needed help during the honey. So I would spend hours just learning how to very carefully get just the right amount of honey in a jar when you turn the little spigot off so it doesn't spill everywhere. It was very, you know, um, just a relaxing, a very relaxing, different kind of a task. And I found like any of these tasks, if you're not doing them for your life work, can be really fun and really different. And, and the other volunteer had been there for quite a while and we would go out in the garden and we would pull up that night's meal like right out of the organic garden and get a little bit of this and get a little bit of that and make a soup and you know, the dried flowers that we were drinking hot tea from. It was just beyond my imagination for me. And I've heard that a lot, that when it comes to, I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday, um, a, a couple of women that are house sitters, and they were saying the same thing, that you have to, you have to go with no expectation and allow yourself to be surprised because you just never know what's going to happen. But if you go into an environment and you think, oh, Really? I have to sleep in this attic and I have to climb these little stairs, then it would spoil. You almost wouldn't even be, you almost wouldn't even allow yourself to appreciate everything else about the experience because if you'd already closed your mind that this isn't what I had in mind. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't that true for us day to day, even in, in general life, we, we miss a lot of um, the beauty of a day because of our um, expectations and our fears and all of those things, they, they, get, they get in the way of our enjoyment of day-to-day life, I think. I totally agree. It's one of the things I love about traveling is it, it gets me in the moment because I'm away from my day-to-day. It, it really helps me stay in the moment, but it also always gives me new perspective. I always come back home with a new perspective. So I would imagine that your perspective has shifted quite a bit in the last five years. Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't know what you don't know. You can't even quite realize what you don't know. Right, yeah. So let yeah. me ask you, um, I'm bouncing around a little bit because there's so many questions that I want to ask you. So did, when you were in the U.S., did you cover all 50 states? Um, not Hawaii. Not and Hawaii. we didn't go together to Alaska. We were considering it, but it's a really long way to drive from America to Alaska. Most of us Americans that go to Alaska, we don't drive there. That's a really long trek across Canada. And it's actually a pretty remote trek. And not that we'll never do it, but that's why that, that didn't happen. But yeah, yeah uh, we probably, during those three years, like I've been to 49 states. I think we covered most of those 48 states. Yeah, in that time. Okay, so then you went overseas. Where did you start? And can you give me a little bit of a timeline? Like, where has your journey taken you over the course of the last, how many years have you been there now, overseas? Well, we, yeah, overseas for two years now. So, well, one of the things that I didn't understand that, I, that we learned, because um, I'm not so great at spending a lot of time doing, uh, studying ahead of time, because I do like to kind of just go with the flow. But many um, longtime travelers are already very familiar with this, but it was new to me, and that's the Schengen area. Um, Western Europe has an uh, agreement that's called Schengen, and basically you can stay in the Schengen countries for three months, and then you have to leave for three months. Um, my initial impression was that you could stay in one of those countries for three months and then go to the next one. So I didn't quite get it when we first got there. So we, we started out in France, and we did some wolfing there, and we did some wolfing in Holland. We spent some time in Germany. Um, at that point, we needed to leave the Schengen area. So then we started moving, and, and it's all kind of uh, also looking at the weather. You know, I'm tired of being hot. You <laughs> know, from Florida, I really, um, it's nice to kind of go where the weather is being kind to you and, and throw that into your, into your planning. Um, and we headed towards Asia. We went through Eastern Europe first. Uh, I think we spent time in Romania and Croatia and then worked our way down into Asia. Ryan and I kind of take turns a little bit in like, okay, so where are we going to go next? Like now it's time to start thinking about, you know, where the next bounce is going to be and we'll start playing around with it and taking turns looking around. But he found our opportunity in India, which was an extremely remote experience and probably one of my favorite experiences of all because of its um, National Geographic explorer kind of a feeling. It's a part of India that people from India don't go to, rarely go to. And we got to help with a little school that was just getting started. And that was really, really special for us. It's an area called Assam which I didn't even realize, honestly, my ge geography wasn't so good. If you look at a map of India, there's a, almost like an appendage, like an arm that sticks off to the east, and it goes right on. If you look at it closely on most maps, it actually is a dotted line around the borders. It's that, uh, that remote. The line between Assam and China is like a dotted line. Fascinating to me. But it's deep in there are where some of the, they call them tea gardens. We would call them plantations. Uh, where a lot of the tea from India came from, Darjeeling tea, and that, that came from deep in Assam. But Assam is very tribal. It's still tribal. They consider themselves tribal, indigenous tribes. There's like so many different languages and so much culture going on. They pump their water. They, you know, it's just as simple living as you can possibly imagine. It feels very much like going back in a time machine. It was absolutely wonderful. And they treated us so well. 
we lived in a bamboo hut and just loved these kids and had a fantastic time. So we went back there again for several months and helped them launch a little school library and that kind of thing. It means a lot to me. That part of India really stole my heart. Mm. It was great. And then we um, went from there to Nepal. And Nepal was fascinating too. When we got to Nepal, we had no plan. We had no work away scheduled. We actually, I forgot about this. Like the reason that we ended up going to Nepal was when we flew into India, when we were at the airport, they were not going to let us get on the airplane because we didn't have our plan for where we were going to go next because we didn't know where we were going to go next. We didn't know how long we were going to stay in India. It was like, we were free. (laughs) And oh my gosh. And so we had like 20 minutes until the plane was supposed to leave or something. And we thought we had all this time and everything's great. And all of a sudden they're telling us that they're like, no, you got to figure it out. Oh my gosh, Ryan, where are we going to go next? I don't know where we're going. Okay. Well, Nepal is like right next door. Okay. And so I've got sketchy internet connection and I'm trying really hard to like buy tickets online. And it was probably one of the most stressful experiences of all of our travels, but it's also a fun story to tell. And that's how we ended up going to Kathmandu. So that was our next stop. And when we got to Kathmandu, we had nowhere to go, no, no intentions. And you walk out of the airport and there's all these taxis and stuff going, Madame, Madame, you know, they're wanting to take you in a taxi, but taxis are expensive. So we don't ever do taxis. And we just kept walking until we found the local buses. And there the local buses are not what we imagine. Uh, they're very foreign to our experience. They kind of roll up and sort of stop and they're banging on the side and you kind of jump on it while it's rolling by and they're packed to the gills. And they sort of squished together a little closer and let you in. And off we rolled. And we rolled on that bus until it finally stopped. And we got off. And then where we were, we loved. And it was a different city in the Kathmandu Valley. And we've gone there twice. We built relationships and work trade relationships there. And, you know, just had amazing adventures. And um, it's called Bhaktapur. Bhaktapur is the royal city in the Kathmandu Valley that we've grown so fond of. Yeah, so there was that adventure. (laughs) Wow, I love it. This podcast is brought to you by Empath Yoga. The 200-hour Empath Yoga lifestyle training is for those who want to teach yoga or simply make yoga a more integral part of their daily lives. Learn more at empathyoga.com. So, and then then where did you go from there? Um, Thailand, uh, we had friends that we know from Burning Man. We go to Burning Man um, whenever we can. We've been quite a few times. We've, we got married at Burning Man. And these friends we've known since 2005, and they go to Thailand every, every winter. So we thought that would be a really cool opportunity to kind of get that part of the Asian experience through them. So we went to, connected with them in Bangkok. And there was no work trade in Thailand. That's just straight up tourist experience. And we've Learn now how, like, we camped on a beach in a tent for $8 a night, like, where the water, just beautiful, beautiful, crazy, beautiful, so affordable, so amazing. (laughs) Wow. Um, And it's funny because some people wouldn't even think to look for something like that, I think, because, you know, if you're looking for, if, if you're willing to think outside of the box and not necessarily need to have air conditioning and breakfast included and all that stuff and you really allow yourself to flow, you never know what's going to come out of it. And that, I have to say in all of my travels, some of the most amazing experiences I've ever had were completely unplanned. And if we hadn't allowed ourselves to be in the moment and to just flow with what was presenting itself, 
we may not have allowed ourselves to take the opportunity. We may have been, oh, sorry, we have everything scheduled. Our next hotel is booked. And, and we would not have had the opportunity to experience uh, what the universe was presenting to us. So I think it's so great to go and, and not have that much of a plan. You know, you, you, have a, you have enough of a plan that you know no matter what you're going to be okay because you can at least afford food and to get lodging if you need to. But that's it. That, that's it. That's it. That's spot on. That, the spot on part is realizing like what is okay. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're okay, you're okay. I mean, what's not okay in our idea of what that is, is what really matters. And I think that when we get a sense of that, we need to have so much control over the next moment, we lose that opportunity, like you said, to really, really have the incredibly wonderful experiences. And I feel so grateful that I'm traveling with my sweetheart who gets that. When we, when we went to Thailand, when we, the first time we went, like, yes, we had friends that we were going to connect with, but we didn't have a place to stay. They went to this particular island. They had their place that they stayed. We didn't know where we were going to stay. And the ferry that we were on didn't stop at the island that we were getting off at. So as we're riding on this ferry and we're finding out, like, yeah, it's not going to stop at this island. You've got to have another boat that comes out and connects with the ferry. Like, okay, well, geez, not quite sure how we're going to do that. So we start talking around to other people on the boat and we find this German couple and they're kind of in the same situation. They make reservations on the island. They agree to let us like ride on their boat with them. So we jump on their little boat with them and we all ride over to the island. So now we're on the island, it's us and our backpacks and we're just walking down the beach with no clue where we're going to stay. Well, you know, worst case scenario, maybe we sleep on this beach. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Bite, but it was beautiful. I could, you know, I can deal with that. And I think that our fear of other humans and our fear of all kinds of things um, prevent, the, and it's not that bad things never happen, but in my experience, they're actually kind of, you know, they're really pretty rare. The odds are in your favor. I've had my stuff stolen before, not like since we've been traveling, but I've had my stuff stolen before. But true dangerous situations where someone actually hurts somebody, those are much farther in between. People might get threatened when they're traveling and get frightened, but I, I think to go boldly into uh, pursuing your what feels right to you, what feels exciting to you, and to go boldly into life is so much more fun. <laughs> I totally agree, and I think what keeps what stops some people in their tracks from traveling is you know, you watch the news or you pay attention to what's happening on the media and, and th they present a very scary picture. I can't tell you how many times I've said, oh, we're thinking about going here or we're thinking about going here. And people are like, oh my gosh, is it safe? Who are you going with? And I've, like you, I have yet, knock on wood, to ever have an experience where I didn't feel safe. In fact, people are pretty, they're pretty awesome towards travelers. They, they get that this is just an, a human being that's exploring the earth and walking the earth. And most of the time, they're, they're going to bend over backwards to help you, to, to give you whatever information you need. I remember one time, it was the first time I traveled out of the country, well, over, overseas to, to Europe. And I was going with three other people and I realized, you know, this is the first time I'm traveling overseas. It was the first time a couple of us, for a couple of us, and we were going to be together backpacking for 10 days through three countries. And I thought, you know, the, the likelihood of there being some stressful moments is probably pretty high. There are going to be things that don't necessarily work out the way that we expect them to. 
And so the whole way there on the plane, I was meditating and my mantra became, whatever happens, it's all just part of the adventure. No matter what happens, it's all just part of the adventure. And that kind of got me in the mindset of just flow with it. Whatever happens, even if you missed your bus and you end up sleeping on a park bench, you guys are going to be fine. Like it's going to be okay. And because I had that attitude... It really was an amazing experience. There were times we were running to catch our trains and running to get to our youth hostel before they closed. And, and yet, it was an amazing experience because it was just, it just was what it was. And we ended up taking a ferry from Scotland to Ireland and we landed in Belfast and we were only supposed to be there long enough to make it to the rental car place where we had rented a car and then we were going to drive south. So it was in the middle of a ceasefire, but man, you could feel the tension in the air. Like you could see tanks going down the street and and the officers were carrying like heavy machinery. And I remember walking down the street being fascinated, thinking I wanted to take a picture, but somebody walked up behind me and whispered in my ear and said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. They'll take your camera away from you. It was definitely a little bit of a, a nerve wracking place, but I never felt like my life was in jeopardy at all. But we didn't make it to the car rental place in time. It had closed. And so now there's four of us standing on a street corner, (laughs) holding a map in our hands with our backpacks on, trying to figure out what it is we're going to do. And a cab driver drove up and said, looks like you guys need some help. So he picked us up and took us to a youth hostel that we ended up staying at. And it ended up being a really unique and interesting and memorable experience. So even when things go wrong, if you flow with it, people really do step up and help you out. I've met some of the most amazing, friendly people in my travels. Absolutely. I've had so many heroes. I've had so many heroes. Now I've got enough street smarts under my belt that I know that if I'm someplace where there's actually like desperate poverty and and a high rate of crime. And I've put myself in those places with intent multiple times, despite people's warning not to. Um, And when I'm in those environments, I'm a little bit more careful with things like not letting people necessarily perceive that I don't know where I'm going, those kinds of things, being more cautious of how that my step is not easy to grab and take away from me or something, just to not invite, just not to tempt someone who might be feeling desperate to possibly do something. But for the most part, like by 98% of the time, it's just staggering how safe we are in most places. And, And like you were describing that where they have the big guns and that kind of thing, you know, there's tensions in places for terrorism and that kind of thing. You do have heightened alerts and that is going on and you've got to kind of look at it and no, and pay attention to how people are looking at you and just sort of be aware. And then you realize that, yeah, I'm okay. It's okay. There's nobody that's wanting to harm me here that I'm not actually, it's just a foreign feeling to me. It just mm-hmm. seems, it's just unsettling because it's more than what I'm used to. And I had seen some of that in Europe many years ago for the first time. And I remember seeing that on the Staten Island Ferry, going on to the Staten Island Ferry after 9-11 when they were up above me with big guns, like, oh, you know, I'm not used to this. This is unsettling. And I still, I'm not really crazy about it, honestly, but it's not directed at me. And I'm not, I'm not the threat. And I think we should all be cognizant all the time. But if we, if we succumb to fear, then, then we lose, you know, right. if we, 
we quit going out and that was the, the goal of, of any kind of terrorist activities, then we're, then they win. And right. it doesn't make any sense. Right. Absolutely. So, okay. So backing up a little bit, you've mm-hmm. done woofing. What are some of the other things that you've done? So talk about, is it home away? Is that what you said? It's called work away. So I'll give you a couple of them. So the first one I'm going to tell you about is um, I know through America, and it was before uh, we did woofing, and it's also a, a, sharing, a sharing economy website, and it's called Work Camper, and it's spelled W-O-R-K-A-M-P-E-R, Work Camper. And the idea with that one is if you have your own um, rolling home, there's a lot of different kinds of opportunities, and some of them even pay a minimum wage and that kind of thing. So we worked at a KOA on the um, coastline of Oregon. That was a really great experience. And that was as a work camper. So that's, that's an opportunity people can kind of test uh, locally in the States. Um, another big one, which is the one that we use most right now. Um, I don't think work camper charges an annual fee. It might charge a minimal amount to be on their website. I don't quite remember. Um, but work away and it's called workaway.org. Uh, um, no, I'm sorry, workaway.info, workaway.info, that website. It's, it's actually for us a little bit prep more um, preferred because it's an international site where with Wolfing you have to pay for each individual country and we don't always know where we want to go. Workaway, once you buy into it, then you can look, look at the whole world. And there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um, all kinds of opportunities from teaching English to you know, help us live our dream out in the middle of nowhere to come and work on our restoring our yacht out in the Indonesian islands, all kinds of things. That one's a, one that we really have gotten, had a lot of luck with. And the one that we haven't used yet that we've learned about is called HelpX. And that's just one we haven't explored, but it's another one that's quite popular, evidently. We were just not aware of it. So you kind of learn about these things from other people as you travel around and meet people and do this with other internationals, you know. So what brought you to Spain? What brought us to Spain? This was, a, this was unique for us because usually we're kind of, like I said, we're sort of, oh, where do you want to go? I don't know where do you want to go? And we start kind of plucking around and figuring out where we want to go. Well, about six months ago, this particular lady contacted us. Um, and that was the first for us that the potential host was um, reaching out to us. And it was something on our profiles that she'd read that made us think that we might be a fit for what she was looking for. And this is specifically a house-sitting um, opportunity. We're here for a month. We're doing some painting inside of our house as a, as a, you know, a task of appreciation for the stay. And yeah, and that's what brought us here. And I really love these places because like on our bucket list, a lot of us know of famous places that we've seen and heard about that we want to go. But some of the coolest places that I've been to don't make it to a bucket list because we've just never heard of them. We, they, don't, they don't make it onto our radar. And this is one of those kinds of villages. It's, it's very small, doesn't have a train station. It's about 700 people. The bus kind of rolls in and out of here every now and then. And it's just beautiful. And it's so authentic. And there's very, you know, very few people come through here that aren't staying here. It's not a tourist destination at all. Really authentic, you know, really authentic Southern Spain. Nice, nice. So what's next? Do you know? Well, um, we do have a bit more of a plan than we normally do. Um, and that is because our daughter, Charlotte Vale, she does this summer camp in Tennessee at Fall Creek Falls, and it's called Camp Gritty. 
and it'll be her third time that she's doing the summer camp. It's for young women between the ages of 18 and 35. And I went last year to help her and I cooked in the kitchen and Ryan kept backpacking around while we were apart. And then this time we're going to go together and I'm going to work at the camp. He's going to dog sit for her while I'm working at the camp. And then since we're already there, we're going to overwinter in Nashville and the big boy and spend that time um, visiting with family and kind of catching up with friends. And then after that, um, we know we'll go back to Bulgaria because that really was something we didn't expect, but we ended up putting some money down on the house in Bulgaria as kind of a base camp. Bulgaria is in Eastern Europe, right where East meets West. It's just amazing, like right there where Eastern culture and Western culture come together. And so it's a great place to be able to go and, and travel and you're really close to Greece. You're not far from Northern Africa. You're not that far from Asia. You can bounce and it's very, very simple living, extremely affordable. We're buying a, a house with land and fruit trees and it, there's actually two houses on the property um, for less than $10,000. And wow. I know. And, and the people across the street are expats that grow organic. They're there because she wanted to be able to control her diet. She has a lot of autoimmune problems. And so they're doing this whole permaculture organic farm thing, and I'll be able to get inexpensive produce from her in addition to what we grow on our own property, which is the step that grows on its own, basically, because we won't be there enough to like really do gardening. But Are you going to um, turn yes. one of those buildings into Airbnb or one or both of them? No, you know, I, you know, who I, you know, it could happen. I don't know what the, <laughs> I don't know what to come. <laughs> well, really, I think even before we get to a point where we're looking to um, get any revenue from it, we may become workaway hosts ourselves and have people come and do projects with us and stay with us. And I have quite a few people that are reaching out to me in that way, you know, Great and yeah, great idea. It's living is very village living. It's like, you know, just a step above camping, honestly, to find a house in this village where the bathroom was not out in the barn, but actually in the house. It's not so, it's not that easy. <laughs> that was your one requirement. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love following your journey. And I think that you should write a book because I'm sure, I mean, we've been talking for 45 minutes and I could oh my definitely keep asking you questions. And and what a resource you are for people too, having having already done it. Um, I want to circle back. So you still have the big boy. We do. We do. The first dentist that I worked for in Central Florida is a dear friend, and just kind of I didn't know where the big boy would live. It we didn't have the income to pay to keep it somewhere. I was like, Ugh. and then out of the blue, they text me one day like, you know, do you need a place for the big boy? I'm like, oh yay. And so it's parked along the St. John's River in central Florida, sort of sitting there waiting for us with flat tires. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. So is there, is there anything else that you want to say? Like I, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is because I think people, like we touched on, people have these ideas of things that they want to do in their life. And it, and it ends up becoming a one day I will dot, dot, dot kind of thing. And, and then a lot of times people never actually get around to doing that thing. And I love that you practiced deep listening and you were paying attention to what people around you were saying and to what was happening around you and, and, and realized, you know what, this isn't going to happen on its own unless 
we make the decision to do it. Well, I think what I think what I would like to say next is so this has been a five year journey, like I said so far, and somewhere along the line, it is necessary for us to find a way to develop some trickle income beyond what we've been able to so far, so that we're going more in the black than in the red and. As we've traveled along, we've learned how to really, really, really control our costs. We've gotten very, very good at that. Um, And one of the ideas that hit me some time ago is that I could offer what I know to people who might be dreaming and want to ask me these questions. So I'm putting that out there that if somebody wants to talk to me one-on-one, I'm more than happy to talk to somebody. You know, I'm calling myself a global dream champion. Um, I love it. Thank you. So, the, so that's there. And I think I have a lot of different kinds of life experience that, that may be able to give someone else the confidence. And I think that I can kind of help them think through some of the challenges and how did we get rid of all of our stuff and how do you, it took us six months to figure out how to detach ourselves from our lives and be able to roll out, you know, and I'd already been dreaming for quite some time. So I'm happy to do that. Um, and that's, that's a variable. And then somewhere along the line, I'm going to start selling some things. I, I fall very much in love with people in these other developing nations and they do incredible handcrafts. And if there's ways that I can sell their stuff and help them and help me at the, at the same time, I'm going to be doing some of that. But I was thinking before I talked to you that I would throw out there ways that people could get in touch with me. Is that okay? Absolutely. Please do. Okay. So I've had the same primary email since like the mid 90s. <laughs> so my email is really very simple. It's an AOL email and I spell my name with an H. So it's R H O N D A mail, M A I L, Rhonda mail at AOL.com. And someone can email me and just let me know if they're interested in talking to me and I can explain to them how, I, how we can go about that. And I also want to let people know that if you just want to follow my travels and chat with me online, I'm very active on Facebook at Rhonda Efron Brown. I also have a blog. It's Rhonda Recreates, like I recreated my life, rondarecreates.wordpress.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Pinterest. I've got an Etsy shop. Uh, you know, I've got, I'm, I, I pluck around at all of these different social media things because this is my own personal sense of purpose. I raised my kids. I did a lot of community service. I took care of my mom. And after that, smoke clears from those things. I think a lot of us hit, especially women. I don't know. I'm not a man. I don't know how they feel. But I think often for women, when we've been caregivers, we get this point like, and so what do I do now? You know, like, who am I now? Mm. Where's my sense of purpose? How do I, how do I transition into this next part of my life? And for me, um, a big part of this has been regaining that footing and trying to figure out what that meant in this part of my dream. And I'm, I'm finding like the world's children are my children. And that, that for me, how I can help other people in the world and how I can bring them together is part of my big, my big dream. And I've just started this online English school and I've started international scholarships for students to learn English with me through video chatting. I've got a lot of different things like that, that I'm, that I'm playing with, but I guess that's all I, all I really wanted to be sure that I, added to this conversation. That's that's great. That's that's great that you are such a resource. And I have loved following your journey on Facebook. So I definitely highly recommend that people 
find you and, and follow you because it's, it is quite inspiring because I know I'm going to be doing that myself at one point in my life. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of setting up for it too. Like you said, it takes a little bit of time to prepare and my business is transitioning to be largely online. And of course I lead yoga teacher trainings and retreats around the world. So, so I've already been able to do a lot of traveling that way. So I'm doing yeah. So I'm in transition too. I'm, I'm going to be coming to see you somewhere at some point in time. <laughs> you crazy inspire me. I was so honored that you asked me to do this. It was so exciting. You're, you're kicking it too. You are, you've interviewed so many really exciting people. I've learned a lot. I've listened to some of them a couple of times now. I'm, I'm really proud of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rhonda. Say hi to Ryan for me. I look forward to meeting him someday. And... And we'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Always Evolving. Please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think might appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, let me know by giving me a five-star rating and help our ranking so we can reach more people who might be inspired by our message. Until next time, remember, our lives are a product of the choices that we make. Choose wisely.